This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 83 Clearview Ranch John Priestley stood with his two teenage sons and his business partner Jim as a heavy flurry of fat snowflakes blanketed his Colorado ranch. As the sheriff's high beams cut through the near whiteout conditions, it took their attention away from the bizarre scene at their feet. A buffalo from the neighboring ranch lay dead in the middle of their pasture. They didn't have a clue how it ended up there, and that was only the beginning of the mystery. The sheriff and the local veterinarian trudged through the snow toward the visibly confused group. John made introductions and gestured at the bizarre sight between them. This is just how my boy found it, he said confidently. I just can't explain it. The neck of the one-ton beast had been snapped. The head was bent back so far that its horns touched its shoulders. As rare as it was, John and the sheriff agreed that they had both seen buffaloes get tangled in fence rows and break their neck while thrashing around in an attempt to escape. In the open pasture with no fence for at least 400 feet, and considering the severity of the break, the group was left dumbfounded. Well, here's an idea. What if the bull bucked while running? It could have gone face first into the ground and rolled end over end, the young vet offered weakly. A shot of glances passed over the group that made it clear that no one, even the vet himself, believed that for a second. The theory didn't faze the sheriff. He stood silent and stoic, assessing the situation. A situation that didn't seem to confuse him in the way that it did the rest of the group. He had seen this before. There are bears around here, right? Could a bear have done something like this? Jem asked. The vet shook his head. No, 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 not really. Aside from a couple of specific spots, there really aren't any bears in this area. I mean, a bear could do this, sure. But in a head-to-head fight, my money would be on the buffalo. I told you it wasn't a bear, John's son blurted out. It was something else. Something huge in those trees down there. He pointed excitedly down to the woods at the bottom of the slope. But before he could continue, his father shot him a look that shut him up immediately. No comment from the sheriff and vet, but they shared a look of recognition that sent chills down Jim's spine. He had a terrible feeling that they knew exactly what was going on here. They just weren't going to say. 
It all started back in October of 1975. The Priestley family moved into the ranch in Elbert County, Colorado, about 30 miles east of the Rockies. One afternoon spent checking it out and they were completely taken by the place. Right around 40 acres of woodlands, open pasture, and even a small network of natural springs that fed into a pond just behind the ranch house. They weren't fazed by the fact that the land had been left unoccupied for several years. A little digging by John's wife Barbara soon revealed the reasoning. See, rumors of bizarre occurrences on the land had spread like wildfire after the departure of the previous resident about a decade before, including the disappearance of an entire outbuilding that used to stand just a hundred feet from the homestead. But John Priestley, a former Air Force commander, didn't give these rumors a second thought, and the family, along with John's business partner Jim, purchased the property and the family moved into the beautiful Colorado ranch house within a month of that initial visit. Within a week of their arrival, the first hint that those rumors may have more merit than the family believed began. The phenomenon that would come to be known as the hum woke them from sleep. It was an incessant, low vibration that would come and go, morning, afternoon, and night. It was impossible to predict. It wasn't that the hum was loud. It was the quality of the noise that left the family unsettled. It wasn't long before they had electricians, plumbers, and HVAC specialists out on the property in an attempt to understand the source. These inspections proved fruitless. With no source discovered, obvious or otherwise, the family was left to deal with the hum. Again, it wasn't loud, but despite the low volume, It had a way of disrupting sleep. Those exposed to the hum quickly found themselves in an agitated state. On occasion, the hum was accompanied by a low, metallic grinding sound that reminded John of the large industrial mills in a lumber processing plant. Soon the family concluded that these mechanized sounds were coming from the ground below their ranch. The hum itself was unsettling, to be sure. But what really launched this property into the stratosphere of the supernatural is the range of bizarre happenings that seemed to come with it. Strange entities were often sighted by the family watching them from the tree lines. That first cattle mutilation in the winter of 1975 was discovered by John's eldest son, Joe. He was out rabbit hunting with a friend in the early morning hours when they came upon it. A hulking beast, stone dead with its head twisted back against its own shoulders, less than a thousand feet from the boy's bedroom. The boys bent down to examine the nearly beheaded beast, when at the bottom of the hill in a large thicket of trees, they spotted the nearly silhouetted figure of a large humanoid creature. Even from 700 feet, they could tell that it had them in its sights. To them, it looked enormous, seven to eight feet easily, but between the snow being kicked up by the wind and the low light of morning, its features were unclear. Wanting nothing to do with this strange creature, the boys turned from the downed buffalo and started up the hill toward the house. When they reached its crest, they turned to find much to their dismay that the beast had emerged from the tree line and seemed to be racing across the pasture toward them. Moments later, they burst through the door of the ranch house and described the encounter to the family. 
John and Jim immediately picked up nearby rifles and set off to investigate. After assessing the mutilated buffalo, they searched the area for any sign of the creature described by Joe. After just a few minutes of searching, they found themselves standing over a trail of 18-inch footprints. Following the trail led them around the hill and into the horse barn, where the prints could be seen in the manure on the barn floor. Then, without warning or explanation, the prints ended, and the creature that made them was nowhere to be seen. Run-ins with these entities, what the family called Bigfoot-like creatures, became a frequent occurrence on the ranch. Family members and visitors both reported spotting them skulking around the tree lines, peering out from behind outbuildings, and staring at them from within the thickets that surrounded the pasture. On one occasion, the adults of the house left for several days for a conference in Denver. Rather than enduring the tedium of a corporate event, the teenage boys chose to stay on the ranch and wait out the long weekend. Just a few hours after their departure, Joe and Miles were out exploring the woods directly behind the pond near their home, when the relative silence of the evening was shattered by an unearthly roar. They spun toward the noise and spotted an immense creature standing in a pine grove further in the woods. Miles froze, and as the beast took off in a dead sprint toward them, Joe grabbed his younger brother by the shoulder and dragged him toward the house. They tore through the thicket and raced around the edge of the pond before turning back to assess the situation. The beast stood just inside the tree line, staring at them. Joe was struck by the fact that he and his brother were bent over, fighting to catch their breath, and their pursuer showed no signs of exhaustion. No rise in its shoulders, no heavy breathing. It simply stood there staring. It appeared to be unwilling to venture outside the woods in the daylight. Unfortunately for the boys, the bashful beast would find its nerve once night fell. Just after sunset, the boys began hearing unimaginably heavy footfalls on the wraparound porch. Soon this escalated to banging on the walls and scratching across the glass windows. The boys hunkered down together between the couch and the fireplace, hoping that it would eventually give up and leave them be. This wish would not be granted by the bullying behemoth for hours to come. The boys spent the entire night hunkered down in that spot, as the beast pounded on the walls, scratched at the door, and roared at the windows. Seven hours later, as the sun began to rise, it simply left. They didn't hear it recede from the homestead. The noises just stopped. After that experience, the brothers refused to go outside after dark, and they never allowed themselves to be left home alone again. But this mysterious cattle ranch is not simply a Bigfoot stomping ground. The range of phenomena puts it on par with some of the most varied expressions of Fortiana that we have ever encountered. From the first night that the family slept at the ranch, lights were often spotted floating out among the pastures and within the wooded sections of the property. Groups of soccer ball-sized lights floating. On the first night, John was convinced that he was dealing with trespassers. Assuming that his recent purchase may need to be explained to people who previously passed through or used the land, 
because it was unoccupied, may need to be explained. He got on an ATV and drove out into the nearest pasture where two separate lights, one red and one blue, could be seen moving very slowly and close to the ground. He expected to find folks walking the land with flashlights. But as he approached, the red light took off at an unimaginable speed into the nearest tree line, and the blue light zipped straight up into the night sky. John wrote this bizarre incident off as some sort of bioluminescent bug. He told himself that they only seemed larger because of the brightness of the light that they generated. This theory would not last long. In the pre-dawn hours of an April morning, the family was awoken by the hum. This was something that they had grown accustomed to, but on this occasion the hum was significantly louder than ever before. So loud, in fact, that John and Barbara's bed was audibly vibrating against the bedroom floor. They had to investigate. They threw on their robes and walked to the living room, where they were surprised to find Jim standing at one of the front windows. Without a word, they walked across the room and joined him. At first, they didn't know what it was that held his attention so rapidly. A few seconds later, they were shocked to see nine disc-shaped crafts slowly descend from the sky in their front pasture and land softly on either side of their driveway. The confused trio stood there for several minutes, just staring at the unbelievable sight, before Jim decided to go outside and see what he could see. John and Barbara stood at the window and watched as Jim walked down the porch and across the front yard toward the group of crafts. Suddenly, Barbara appeared to have been struck by an unseen force. It knocked her off her feet and launched her backward across the living room floor. John spun around and rushed to her aid, but by the time the couple returned to the window, Jim was returning to the homestead, and the crafts were gone. While Barbara didn't sustain any physical damage, to say that the residents of the home found a new respect for the severity of their situation would be an understatement. They realized at that point that they were dealing with something far beyond any of their expertise. And beginning the following night, the sight of UFOs over the ranch was a nightly occurrence. They frequently observed them, interacting directly with the smaller floating lights on the property. But believe it or not, these nightly visits from UFOs quickly took a backburner position to a much stranger and seemingly more dangerous phenomenon that began soon after. One evening, the eldest son, Joe, spotted a dim light in the exact spot where they had observed a conical craft land the previous month, near the top of the hill in front of their home. After the craft had ascended, they found a ring of dead vegetation that was yet to grow back. He and Jim went to investigate the light. As they approached the hilltop, they realized that the light was coming from behind it, In fact, it was coming from the thicket where the boys had encountered the Bigfoot-like creature. They got out of the truck to get a better look. It didn't look like the colored orbs that had become commonplace. Nervously, they walked down the hill toward the dim glow. Despite the difference in appearance, Jim fully expected the light to move away as they approached. But that is not what happened. As they stepped through the thick undergrowth... The source of the light came into view. It was a small, translucent cube 
about 18 inches to a side. Stranger still, the cube seemed to be generating an unsettling buzzing sound, like a beehive, and the closer they got, the louder the buzzing. But it was more than an audiovisual experience. Jim felt as though the cube was pushing them away, like it didn't want to be touched or even looked at. Fearing for the safety of the young man he had in tow, he ushered Joe back out of the thicket into the truck with strict instructions to return to the ranch house without him. With Joe safely on his way home, Jim walked back down the hill and toward the cubicle curiosity. He recognized a change in the light. It had become significantly more intense. He clapped his sweaty hands together in a weak attempt to encourage himself and stepped through the thicket, only to immediately be greeted by two freakish-looking men wearing what he would later describe as black flight suits. Inhumanly slender, around five foot six, with enormous eyes. They looked largely human, but there was definitely something off about them, something other. In a friendly but stilted voice, the one on Jem's right spoke. Hello, Jem. We are so sorry for the disturbances of late. We will find an arrangement that is more equitable. This takes time. Jim stood in disbelief as the one on his left began to speak in the exact same voice. The object that you encountered before, the box. It is good that you stepped away. They are quite dangerous. Continue staying away. Observe. They both turned and Jim followed their gaze to a disc-shaped craft about 50 yards deeper into the forest. In front of the craft sat another cube. Or the same cube. Jim didn't know. Just as he was about to speak, a Bigfoot-like creature emerged from the woods beyond and walked toward the box as it buzzed fitfully. The creature approached and bent down to touch it. The moment that it made contact... It dropped to the forest floor, unconscious or dead. When Jem brought his attention back to the two pilots, they were already facing him again. They spoke in unison. As you can see, they're quite dangerous. Continue staying away. We will talk again. Goodbye. Jem was awestruck as the two beings stood silently staring at him for a few moments. And he realized that this was their way of asking him to leave. He didn't feel like he was in a position to object, so he turned and walked back the way he came. When he reached the top of the hill, he turned back to assess the area. The glow of the cube was now gone. He stood there in a trance, trying to determine the best way of relating this story to anyone at all. The family had experienced some incredible things on this ranch, to be sure. But this was far and away the most bizarre event that he had ever heard of. Of course, it wouldn't be long before this story was just as believable as the rest of the experiences. Soon, the otherworldly pair was witnessed by several other residents. Sometimes at a distance, but more frequently, they were seen peering in through the windows of the house at night. What followed Jim's encounter was a period of lessened activity. 
At some points, it seemed to have stopped altogether. The family breathed a collective sigh of relief, feeling like maybe life could get back to normal. Unfortunately, this respite was short-lived. One Saturday morning, the family had just enjoyed a big breakfast, and Jim was laying on the couch in the living room, beginning to drift off to sleep, when some movement to his right caught his attention. Standing there in the bright mid-morning light was a tall, thin figure with a strange helmet on its head. Terror surged through his body, and he attempted to jump up off the couch, only to find that he was paralyzed. And so he lay there, only able to move his eyes, staring at the inexplicable entity for what felt like hours. Eventually, the being turned and walked away through the French doors. It wasn't until the being was out of sight that Jim regained the ability to move his body. Following this encounter, activity on the ranch reached a fever pitch. This period included terrifying phenomena that most would put in the paranormal category. Family members were waking to find shadow figures standing at the foot of their beds. They began experiencing a version of the hum that seemed to follow them from room to room. And even visitors were having experiences that seemed to follow them back to their own homes. They reported similar experiences for sometimes weeks after their time spent on the ranch. While this did happen on occasion, for the most part, the activity would lessen when the family had guests. This often led to disbelief in the community. Uncomfortable with the idea of having a reputation for dishonesty, Jim devised a few methods for provoking the activity in the face of non-believers. He would load bits of scrap metal and barbed wire into the bed of his pickup and drive out into the pasture. He would dig a hole and place the metal in the ground in a way that made it look like he was installing some kind of machinery. After returning to the house, they would watch as swarms of colored orbs would descend on the area in what seemed like an attempt to understand the changes being made to the land. While these seemingly harmless attempts to show off the phenomena became a crowd favorite, it was one of these actions that induced one of the most terrifying events to ever take place on the ranch. In September of 1976... A former colleague of John's came with her two young daughters to stay on the ranch for the weekend to celebrate Joe's 17th birthday. When the subject of the ranch's newfound reputation came up, it was wholly dismissed by their guest. So Jim set to show her proof. He had come to understand that whatever was causing the disturbances reacted strongly to the presence of precious metals. He had a collection of silver jewelry that he had buried in the past with fantastic results. He drove out to the hilltop and buried the jewelry along with a few lengths of copper wire in the center of the patch of dead vegetation and returned to the house. They sat quietly on the porch for over an hour without any response. Disappointed, they gave up and went back into the house to continue the evening. It wasn't until 2 a.m. when the adults had sat down to play a game of risk that the response finally came. It was a response that none of them would have ever expected. All the lights in the house suddenly went out. A strange electronic voice seemed to come from every speaker in the home. Attention. We have allowed you to remain. 
We have interfered with your lives very little. Do not cause us to take action which you will regret. Your friends will be instructed to remain silent concerning us. And the lights all snapped back on. Their houseguest was visibly shaken, but stood her ground, accusing the family of playing some kind of trick on her. She was, however, an electronics expert, and quickly asked if she could check the stereo and TV for transmitters. She set to disassembling each and every radio and TV in the house, and despite being incredibly thorough, she found nothing. In the morning, she headed home a day early, and just six months later, in March of 1977, the Priestley family left Clearview Ranch forever. While we know very little about the specific location of this ranch, or the real names of the people involved due to their plea for anonymity, there is an incredible amount of information about their experiences that can be found in a 26-page report made by Dr. Leo Sprinkle and Dr. John Durr. The report documents any and all interviews conducted with the family, friends, police, and neighbors. So what happened here on what we're calling Clearview Ranch? Why not consider the insights of the people who experienced these remarkable phenomena? The family had two primary theories. One, military psyop. They reason that the ranch's close proximity to a military testing ground may have been the reason for their inclusion. And two, genuine extraterrestrial encounters. They theorize that the more human-like beings may have been in some sort of conflict with the insect-like creatures, with the Sasquatches playing the role of some kind of foot soldier for one or both of the groups. This theory puts the family directly in their crossfire. Whether either of these theories holds water or not, it is without a doubt that this seems to be yet another ranch in the American West rife with Fortean phenomena. And here we are, left in the position we so frequently find ourselves, more questions than answers, about the events that took place on Clearview Ranch. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts. I am Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Welcome, Jordan. Thanks. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You know, it really is. I'm glad to be it here. It really is. I have to admit, it really is. For those of you who aren't here, I'm sorry. You're it's missing really out, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> So this story was enormous. Yeah, but this is also a doozy. Yeah, it's got all the best. Aliens, big feats, (laughs) shadow people. Dude, all of it. That are most likely just aliens. Spook lights. That are aliens. The hum. That are aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Big feet, aliens. What? I mean, it really does have everything. Yeah, it really does. It's crazy. It's, um, these fucking ranches, dude. These, the American West is just full of these ranches filled with wild shit. I mean, yeah, this is one I had, I had no idea about. Yeah. I had, I had never heard of this ever. 
Right. And then I was stumbling through some old episodes of Coast to Coast. And there's an episode with this woman, Katie Grabowski. Okay. And I had never heard of her. And she comes on and she tells this insane story. Insane. So she is the Colorado state director for MUFON. Nice. Okay. Okay. She also happens to be the daughter of the friend who was the electronics expert. So she knows the real place and the real people's names. Yes. She was there. You got to find out. So, yeah, it's also another little like insight into this that she talks about publicly. So I don't feel bad talking about it, but like there were some weird, very 1970s relationship dynamics going on at the ranch. Yeah, it was probably just like an area that all these like groups of swingers. Yeah. Probably came out to enjoy each other. And why not? I mean, yeah, I think there was quite a bit of stuff like that going on out there. So like you often hear these scenes in the story where it's like just Barbara and Jim, you know, the business partner. Right. They seem to have spent a lot of time together. I think at one point, Barbara and Jim are together, and then Barbara's husband, John, was seeing Katie's mother, the friend, who came came from Texas. Like, yeah. So, like, she spent a lot... She wasn't just there that night. She spent a lot of time on the ranch before they moved out. So she saw all kinds of of shit. That explains the shaking of the bed. It certainly does. (laughs) That happened to, you know, happened when the hum came. And probably when he came, too. (laughs) (laughs) So what's weird is she had no idea, like... Okay. She went through, um... So she went through all the shit as a kid. And she had no idea that anyone knew about it. Then years later, she joins MUFON, and she's reading the book Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm Keller and George Knapp. You know, the All like right. the pinnacle book the, about Skinwalker Ranch. Right. And there's a section in the end of the book that lists other hot spots. Right? And it mentions a ranch in Colorado. It's there's like two pages on it where it like details some of the stuff that happened and she's like, "Oh shit, that's the ranch that I spent all that time at as a kid." Like she had no idea anyone ever reported it. She didn't know that like anyone knew about it and it turns out there's this enormous apro report that will definitely be linked in the in the episode description it's like 26 pages it's of account after account it's lots of interviews with jim and barbara and then there's some with police there's some with a neighbor a photographer that was working on the ranch for a little while um yeah there's a bunch in there it's awesome that they were able to compile all of that from this one place. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, there is so much to that. You Just even skimming through it. Like, I mean, all the different random reports and things like that. Just, yeah, it's crazy. Yep. Yeah, they just, yeah, they got it all together. Um, well, that's, honestly, that's thanks to the people who wrote the report. Um Leo Sprinkle, for one, who was a badass. He was like a classic ufologist character. Also, he has the last name of Sprinkle. Yeah, which is awesome. 
I think he just passed away recently, just a couple of years ago. Uh, um, R.I.P. Yeah, stellar last name, um, and he did a shitload of work. Like he was a a trained psychologist, but he spent he like dedicated his whole life to UFO research and like talking with. He was sort of he sort of spearheaded the movement of like really focusing on the experiencer, on like instead of just going like, oh, you saw a thing. Okay, I don't need you anymore. I'm going to write about it. Right. Like, he spent time with them and, you know, psychologized I mean, them. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> and that, as as it should be, right? Because yeah. what better Absolutely. way are you going to get the meat and potatoes of it all without yeah. doing so? Exactly. And we like our meat and potatoes. When you look at so many, like, UFO accounts in particular... They're so shallow because no one goes past the, like, physical, what happened physically. There's so many accounts of, like, if you go through, like, a list of MUFON reports, it's like, this guy, it often doesn't even have a name. It's like, male in Delaware saw green oscillating light in the sky. End of report. (laughs) Like, fucking talk to him. Yeah. Like, I want to know what he was doing. I want to know how he felt while he was seeing it. I want to, you know what I mean? Right. Like, that's what matters. Get, get into their, you know, their head. What what were the thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. How was the experience? Exactly. What did, did you, you talk about? What it did it after? do for you afterwards? Like, that's, yeah. that's one of the big things. Like, mm-hmm. how these things affect people in the long yep. run, right? Yeah, it, people leave it out. It's a shame, really. Yeah, and that's one They're, of the most important parts. Yeah, agreed. She actually, um, Katie Grabowski, she recently wrote a book called, and this has a very academic length title. The book is called Letters of Love and Light, Four, Decad- Four Decades of UFO Encounters, Experiences, and Sightings Shared with Ufologist R. Leo Sprinkle, PhD. So, like, he gave her basically his entire library of correspondence that he had ever collected and she compiled all these into this book and it's i i don't have it yet it's on my to to get list all right but it's i hear that it's incredible it's i mean it's literally from like 50s 60s 70s 80s of these like incredible reports does it dive more into this "Quote unquote Clearview Ranch area." I yeah, I think there's a whole section on it, but it um, but he was you know he was the guy spearheading the spend time with the experiencer movement. So they're like detailed correspondence back and forth. He kept what was sent to him and what he sent. So yeah, it's like yeah, I bet it'd be a really good read. That would be awesome. Honestly. Yeah, that sounds like it'd be really cool. And for us doing the podcast that's like a gold mine right because like how many stories are in there that could make entire episodes of our (laughs) show you know what i mean yeah like yeah it's pretty awesome i'll have to i'll have to add that to my list as well i thought that was a really interesting connection like that the little girl who's there who's like barely a tertiary character in the story ends up being like the director of colorado's mufon and Without even realizing that it was a reported case. I mean, but she like she was there to share in the experiences, right? Yeah. At least yeah, when, she had a ton when of experiences. She was there, so 
It also makes sense that she would go on to hold such a such a title, you know. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, again, that's that that lasting effect that yeah. these experiences have on the experiencer. Yeah. And that, I think that that's like, like I said, I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to these because most often, if you have one experience, especially that's significant it's not going to be the only one yeah agreed it's um i think it's okay so she tells this story on coast to coast it's the if the the final event from the story that we told tonight this um where the lights turn off and this voice comes through every speaker in the house she told that story from her perspective on coast to coast and it's awesome because all the kids are in the back bedroom like away from the parents right who are playing risk i mean um (laughs) i was gonna gonna say i mean you know yeah maybe maybe they are though i mean and risk is yeah you get in some serious games (laughs) it's true so all the kids are in the back bedroom and they're I believe she said they were playing um, war with like playing cards, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is at like two a.m. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised these kids are still up. She was like twelve, I think, uh, and then her older okay. sister was fourteen, and then the boys were seventeen and fifteen. Well, on swing nights, I'm sure the parents probably gave them a little bit more, like you know, <laughs> a little more more leeway. freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So they're up playing war. They're like sat on the bed and all the lights just like cut off. And she said she freaked out at first, you know, like kids do when the power goes well, off. Yeah, of course. They're like, um, but she said she jumped off the bed and started going toward the door to go find her mom. And before she got to the door, the voice started and she said she just froze and like couldn't move while the voice was playing i mean think about this though being in that position especially i mean it doesn't it doesn't matter honestly i i can't say especially as a child because like even as an adult that would still be pretty damn like it it would it would be weird right terrifying uh terrifying yeah i mean i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it would be terrifying i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie and say it wouldn't be but yeah. more so focusing on like just how how strange that would be the, the whole power and everything goes out but yet they can still like hear you know this person this robotic like thing yeah. that seems to be like broadcasting all over the house yep and so, like, I'm, I'm assuming it came through, like, all, like, radios, alarm clocks, things. Think of, like, things back in, you know, the 70s at the time, uh, yeah. you know, that they had throughout the house, like. The TV yeah. set. Yeah. Anything that had speakers. That's crazy. Yeah. But it's so cool. Like, at the same yeah, time, it really it's is. so cool. Yeah. It, it's awesome. It's. And so this was, it was cool, like, hearing the. Because reading the report, you get it from the perspective of Jim and Barbara. Right. But getting it from her perspective in another place in the house was really neat. 
like really tying those that scene together you know yeah she said she remembers like she was walking toward the door and when the voice started she had like one foot off the floor like she was taking a step and she stayed on one foot dead in her tracks yes like one foot up off the floor stuck in place (laughs) while the voice was now i don't know if that's like an exaggeration about how how scared she was or if it literally was like she was frozen in place i mean it could have been it could have been a little bit of both like panic and fear can literally render you. you nearly catatonic right yeah yeah that's true so yeah also, if so if the aliens froze her in place, then that wouldn't even be the weirdest part of the story. <laughs> True. Yeah. Now, did they did they happen to check the time before and after this occurred? Was there I any wish. loss of time? See that that's also what I thought in the in the experience where they saw the nine crafts and Barbara got yeah. hit with something at the window. Because by the time they get up off the floor and go back to the window, the crafts are completely gone, and Jim's walking back to the house. And that was another question I, I was going to ask about, like, what hit her? Do we know? Or was it just, like, this just feeling that force. overlay? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. She said it felt like she was hit in the chest, and she went flying. And see, and that's not the, that's not the first that we've heard, uh, especially in, in, a, in like an actual encounter case. Of somebody yep. just some unseen force or something knocking, like just even even most recently Kelly Cahill, yeah, she that's was true. like punched in the chest or like hit in the chest, but yep, yeah. And there are of course all those stories of like poltergeist activity where people are like knocked down the stairs or right. scratched or you know what I mean. I don't. I mean, obviously, this is this is a major hotspot, right? So, like, I'm yeah. sure there's there's a mixture of everything, but I feel like, and as I was mocking at the beginning of the episode, like, yeah, aliens, aliens, aliens. I feel like this is primarily more alien based, more yeah. extraterrestrial. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, we have shadow people and these entities that like they're seeing. Obviously, I mean, are more big feet. Um, Bigfoot, (laughs) Sasquatch, um, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, so I, yeah, to me, like, to me, it just screams like very much like it's, it almost reminds me of like Hopkinsville, like goblins, right? Especially even like where they would say like, they'd be creeping on them, on them through like the windows and stuff. And yeah, yeah, those two big eyed freaks. (laughs) <laughs> that like that talk yeah. to Jim in the woods. They used to just like creep up to the windows and stare at them in through the windows at night. So cool. So creepy. God. That's that's one that we need to make sure we make a shirt out of. I mean we've already done right? Stardust. So That's true. <laughs> we could do them like sat at a table with a game of risk in between them and then in the window in the back there's just two big eyed weirdos staring in at them. Maybe while like John's hitting it with the other girl, like <laughs> in the corner, but the like you know some are actually playing Risk. That shirt might not sell very well. <laughs> <laughs> I would buy it. I you know, I think at least a handful of people would. It'd be funny. Absolutely. No, but yeah. yeah, like I think that would that would be super funny. Just these two like creep you know creeper alien guys. 
Yeah. They almost sound like Men in Black. That I was literally just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah, it's they're almost in these black very, flight suits. very men in black, yeah. And they're very human, but they're, like, off. Yeah. Like, they have big, bulging eyes, you know, but Which it's not, like... often not said like about eyes. men in black. Like, they're yeah. very human... human-ish, but yeah. there's always something off about them. I also got the vibe of um, the, the one character in the first men in black movie. The one that gets taken over by the aliens, the farmer. <laughs> uh, isn't that... Uh, uh oh my god. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love him. Where it's like he definitely has human parts, but what is going on with him? Right, yeah. For you sure. know what I mean? Yeah. That's awesome. I like yeah, it. It's um oh there's so much weird shit, dude. That first cattle mutilation also with the buffalo from the ranch. And its over. head is like ba- basically back to where it's touching like it's shoulders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the neck is stretched backwards and the head is upside down on the back on its own back. I mean, I like, just think that was just a hungry Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. You like think we've so? got like Papa Bigfoot out here. Like, you know, he's got to pr- provide for his family. And as he's doing so, he decides to stop and get a snack. Well, here's the thing that was not included in the story. There were also classic cattle mutilation signs on that buffalo. There were organs missing. There were one ear was cut off. One eye was removed. Like the anus was carved out. Um, But all that stuff with like surgical precision and no blood. Which is classic cattle mutilation. Well now we get more weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens. Yeah. I guess, but you know, I I'm, <laughs> I I'm in the belief that you know a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, Yeti, whatever you want to refer to them, are also aliens. So, see, I'm I'm definitely in the camp that all these things are the same thing, but I don't know that that same thing is an extraterrestrial. I mean, know what I mean? I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. This is and the divide as, we always find between well, us. Well, see, this is the thing. I, I was about to say, as we've progressed over the last like year, almost, what, well, not even year and a half, but whatever, that we've been doing this show, I've like I found myself getting to more ultra terrestrial, yeah, like you know, kind of kind of portal hoppers, yeah, interdimensional like, type stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we also have the scene in the barn where they're following the footprints. That's they true. They literally lead in the barn and then just stop. Like what, yeah. once they get against the wall or towards the back of the barn or something, right? Yeah, it just vanishes. And that was immediately what I thought. Yeah. Like that, there, there's a portal there. There's a rift. Yeah. Anytime something disappears. We without... have a vortex. Yeah. A vortex. I mean, like those rainbow vortexes, right? Yeah. Yeah. That could vary. Also in Colorado. There's exactly. one there already, right? Yeah. And there's tons of them. There's tons of them in that area, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't think we're supposed to know, really. I just, you know. I mean, I have a pretty good idea. Do you? <laughs> You've pretty much narrowed it down. <laughs> I have. Scientifically at that. Through your decades of research. Yeah, obviously. My 30-some years of research. So there's like, because this is obviously, this is a longer story than we usually 
have. It's like twenty. I mean, this is up there with Ozark Keller. Yeah, nearly. Um, but the thing is, like, everyone listening should go follow the link and read this APRO report because there's so much more to this story. Like, so much more. We're gonna go through some of it here in the debrief. Yeah, but like. There's, it would take, if I had included everything that happened to this family on that ranch, this it would, would be have a been multi-part a two-hour episode. story. I was going to yeah. say, yeah. yeah the, <laughs> not a two-hour story. I don't think anyone here is here for two hours. They might be, though. Maybe. Maybe, like, <laughs> half the people literally just listen to the story and they're like, all right, done. Yeah. <laughs> no, but still, man, that would, that would make for an episode. Oof. Yeah, there's, dude, there's so much. There's so much. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm... I mean, yeah, what was that, like 26 pages? Something like that, yeah? Yeah, and most of that is just, it's just straight up script of the interviews right. that they did yeah. of of Jim and um, Barbara and several other people giving accounts of, of things that happened. It's like direct from the witnesses, which is pretty awesome. And to have so many, like, just experiences... It's just that's so that's crazy, and they weren't even there that long, really. They were right. there for less than three years. Yeah they they moved they they moved there in seventy five and moved out at seventy seven, right in March of seventy yeah. seven. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. That's such less a short years, time. Really. For, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like a year and four months or five months. You have these people out there just like living for the experiences and then you have other people that don't get them just trying to run a cattle ranch (laughs) (laughs) and they're like fucked by this right yep yeah you want to hear some of these other reports yeah Yeah, let's listen to them okay awesome so this is um jim talking about the second cattle mutilation so this is two weeks after that first with the buffalo. So okay. 14 days after the first mutilation, a friend of ours from California, a forest ranger, stopped to visit. We went out walking and were showing the ranch to him and his other friends, including a photographer, Roger, who had been hired from Denver to take pictures. We found our second mutilation, a bull, as we were walking over the property. And the bull wasn't ours. Subsequently, I went into town and called the law officer. He said he would like to talk to me, so we met at a restaurant in town. I asked him why I hadn't heard from him and why he wasn't trying to solve this. He explained to me that they knew what the mutilations were, and they had known for some time. They only report one out of four, and in this county alone, there had been over 400 reports by that time. It was being done by extraterrestrials, and they had spoken to the FBI about it. I told him that I couldn't believe it. I said that I could believe that an intelligent race could travel across space, but but to do some of the things they had done to the to the buffalo stretched my stretched my credulities getting fancy a little too far. I told him that if he couldn't solve the crime, at least don't blame it on something like that. I made an enemy of the man and I frankly didn't care because we had lost two cattle. Like so apparently the police knew what was going on. And he said that 400 reports of cattle mutilation in that county. Good God. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lot. Yeah, it's crazy. See, I like I mostly tried to keep the story to things 
to um, events that really only involved the family other than that final one right. with the friend visiting. But like people were in and out of this ranch experiencing shit the whole time. Like these were popular guys who, who bought this ranch. Like they were like high end businessmen who were like on a lark. They're like, let's buy a cattle ranch and give it a shot. Um, yeah. So they had tons of people coming in and out from Denver and, you know, they, at one point, set up a an airstrip on the property so that they can fly in and out on their own. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, so it, it's a much, like, because in the story, it kind you kind of get the idea that they are kind of this just normal family, like, living out on this ranch, and they're kind of alone in this, but there are a ton of people right, involved. Right, of course. And who had other experiences. It's just, yeah, it's insane. I mean, um, whew. but yeah, no, it's it, like just it, obviously. I mean, in this case, there were two of their two of their buffaloes, yeah. right? That I mean, were were subject to this and to have like it's That's a, aliens, dude. for the you know the police <laughs> and everybody else just to be like, oh yeah, you know, we yeah. know. It's it's pretty wild, and like <laughs> just it just seems so. Right, out the sheriff there. was like, "Yeah, we've talked to the FBI about it." Like, tell that's me what's something happening. I don't know. Ridiculous! It's so crazy. Right, I would I would think like they would pro you know I mean if it was actually a legit thing I would think that they would have that area like sectioned off or something and you would think be doing more about things or the police. Or the the sheriff's department were aware that this was like a military, you know, psyop that was going on, and they were just in on it. I'm, yeah, and telling them like, yeah, it's aliens for sure. Go home, <laughs> of course. Yeah. yeah, what else could it be? I don't know, man. It's weird. That is really weird. So this next one is number six in the APRA report. It's ch- it's titled "Chased by a Dark Shape." This one is pretty crazy. Also from Jim. All right. Awesome. The photographer asked if he could come out the next weekend and bring a friend, Harry, with him. These two and Steve, who worked for us, were standing in front of a log cabin. See, they have, like, employees on the ranch and everything. That Like, there are lots of people there. So these two and Steve, who worked for us, were standing in front of a log cabin about 10 o'clock at night. When they heard a strange noise coming from the cistern, which is southeast from the house and about 60 yards up the slope in the direction of the burned spot. All of a sudden, after listening to this noise, a huge, dark object pushed its way through the barbed wire and came straight at them down the hill. They all came running into the house. I went running right away to catch whatever it was, and then I thought they were putting me on. We subsequently went back and traced the route, and sure enough, there were footprints. I I removed some of the hair from the fence, noticing that that it had pushed its way through the barbed wire. It didn't jump the fence, but just by force alone spread it and went through. There were long strands of hair. I collected the hair and got photographs of the footprints coming to the house. By then, I was getting more and more upset about the activities that were building up continuously over a period of time. I sent some of the hairs down to Denver to a biogeneticist for examination. His report later was, no known species. 
By then I was collecting books and discovered that other people had sent in hair and nothing had ever come of it. And one law officer was engaging, was encouraging me to keep my mouth shut about it because he didn't want a full-scale panic in the county. I told him I wasn't interested in panics. I was interested in finding out who was mutilating my cattle. I mean, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> right? Jim, to me, seems like a no-nonsense guy. He's well, like, yeah. He's like, I don't care if it's aliens. I don't care if it's Bigfoots. Like, just, fucking stop it. Leave my cattle exactly. alone. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. But that's pretty wild. They're like out there at night and a Bigfoot just like shoves through a barbed wire fence to get at them. Right. I also, I mean, it's awesome if he actually did get samples of the hair and stuff. Yeah. Like, that would actually be really cool. Yeah, there's been a lot of that. That like, there. I think there is some confusion with the no known species designation that is often right. cited in these cases. Like, um, I think because if you send off to a lab and it's a mixture of hair, it's like some deer hair and some bear hair and some dog hair and some people hair, and it all. So you can't quite yeah, right, and they can't narrow it down, mm. and then you get no known species back from them that's often that's often what happens they really should they should just have one that's like hard to tell yeah <laughs> hard to tell if honestly if there was I'm not sure if there was a single biogeneticist on earth who gave a fuck about cryptozoology there might be a designation like that <laughs> but there really isn't <laughs> so they're all like this is this is a bullshit pile of random hair you sent me like no known species have fun blowing that yeah. up but at the same time you can also say they said that it was no known species yeah. so we know it's something that's what i mean like they're like fucking with them <laughs> like this is technically true yeah. but continue on your goose chase <laughs> <laughs> poor guy right i liked that one though because it's like straight out of a monster movie to have yeah. it like yeah for sure like reaching through the fence toward them you know and like shoving its right. way through like it doesn't care actually separates yeah. the barbed wire yep. and yeah. it doesn't care that the barbed wire is like tearing into it yeah well to them it's just yeah. some, just some extra it needed to shave anyways <laughs> exactly it's just a flesh wound <laughs> tis but a scratch that's right <laughs> okay i got a few more for you you ready Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. This one's number 11 in the APRO report. It's called Communications. Also from Jim. Jim's quite the storyteller. Jimothy? Jimothy. Okay. He says, They stopped bothering us quite so bad, I think, after that. We came home one night after shopping. The three boys were alone at the time. The same sound was going on to the east and one up by the barn like calling back and forth. It was like they had an intelligent pattern of communication. It was broken syllables. It wasn't like animal sounds. It was like the, it was like it was their communication. I joked and said, well, the least you could do is come down and help us carry the groceries. <laughs> well, we went in and the two boys were hidden in the back bedroom, terrified. From what they said, something had been beating on the house continually that night. Well, ah. yeah, this is a second time that that happened. That was, okay. Yeah. 
Well, I had a pretty good temper, which I have lost only three or four times in my life. I stormed outside. I don't remember exactly what I said, but most of it can't be repeated. I think I threatened that if we can't have the land, then you won't either. I'll blow the whole thing away. I meant it too. I would have destroyed it before I would have moved right then. I was mad. I went inside, had some coffee, and calmed down. Then, since our septic tank and toilet weren't working, I went outside. While outside, this voice just came out of nowhere and said four words. Dr. Jim, we accept. I think that was the first time I was really shaken, rather than just angry and disoriented. That was all, just like, just like FM stereo. It came from everywhere. I, <clears throat> I came in the house and was pretty upset. So that's, I mean, yeah, that he was trying to do his business, yeah. and he's, he's got somebody out here just chatting away. Yeah. That's wild, though, that he was like, "If we can't have it, <laughs> you can't have it either. I'll blow it I up." Mean, and yeah, they're like, we accept. That's okay. pretty ballsy. You can have it. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm waiting for Jimbo to go out there with like his rifle and just shoot one of those little cubes, <laughs> right? Be like, look, I told you, dude. We didn't even talk about the cubes. The cubes are so weird. The cubes are super weird. Yeah. yeah. And it like, you know, what I instantly thought was like, oh, the aliens are trapping the Bigfoot or like exterminating the Bigfoot. Big See, that's foots. kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. Because they just stood there and let it kill the Bigfoot. Right. But they were like, you but guys did stay it away actually from kill it? it or did it? He said it just dropped to the ground. He couldn't tell if it was unconscious or right. dead. Its physical form did. Yeah. I suppose so. It's like the puzzle box from uh from uh, Hellraiser. Hellraiser, yeah, yeah. 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 Just basically traps the souls of the people that it basically comes in contact with. I was like I was honestly thinking about them like mouse traps for the Bigfoots. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's fair. Yeah. It's weird. Huh. They're very strange though. They talk about them a lot more in the, in other, because they encountered them a lot. And that they had like one that killed one of their dogs. They had where they would like, on top of the hum, they would hear that buzzing sound. And then they would go to a window and see one of the boxes like out in the front yard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So weird so fucking weird it is i mean there's just so much to this to this area yeah it's, it just makes you wonder it certainly does is it bullshit <laughs> i don't know man i don't know either there's a lot there's a lot i want to say that it's not and a lot of people saw shit here a lot of right. people had experiences here it seems like including this yeah a girl from head of colorado mufon but of course yeah of course, she'd be on board, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Um, so here's a super interesting one that happened later in the All time right. they were there. This is number 16 from the report. Plane crashes. Jim again. Also during that period, two airline pilots and the son of one of them came out and wanted to put a landing strip on our land in exchange for my use of their plane. I agreed. About three weeks later, one of them and two others were killed in a crash nearby in clear weather. The plane was found in the daytime, but I don't know if it happened in the day or at night. 
Others who have inquired deeply into the mutilations, I understand, have disappeared, including the editor of a magazine who was never seen again. I also understand that two National Guard interceptors were up close to here and went down while in pursuit of a UFO at night. All of this was a little unnerving, so I decided I was going to stop my own inquiry. I was going to just quietly mind my own business. But, like, I feel like he's one that can actually really inquire about it. Yeah. And look into it. I mean, he had the balls to go out there and tell him he's going to bomb the place if anything happens. Yeah. Like, you know. And he had some pretty friendly conversations with them. Like, right. the one with yeah. the weird pair of dudes in the woods. Like, they're like, I, we apologize for being an inconvenience. Like, we're going to find a more equitable situation here so that everyone can just live and let live. Don't touch our weird boxes. Yeah, just don't touch our boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Which they may have felt they just had to say to a box. swinger. <laughs> <laughs> you can say what you want about me, just don't touch my box. That's right. <laughs> God damn it. <clears throat> okay, so this is the final one. This is regarding right. their decision to leave the house. So, number 28 okay. on the report, awesome. decision to leave. Jim again. This one actually goes back and forth between Jim and Barbara. So, Jim says, It was almost exciting that we could live peacefully with whatever it was from where, with whatever it was from wherever they were from. And Barbara says, I think this is what finally broke me, because everything was going so peacefully. And I thought we were going to be able to stay. And I really loved that place, and I thought everything was going to smooth out. And then it didn't. And Jim says, Then, after whatever it was, it obviously wasn't humanoid. It wasn't a humanoid form at all. It was hostile. It wasn't threatening. It wasn't dangerous. After that event... Sorry, it wasn't hostile. It wasn't threatening. It wasn't dangerous. After that event, everything went back to double doses of tension. I think he's referring to his um, sleep paralysis experience on the couch there. Um, Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it was a thing of, we knew we were unwanted. It was a gut level feeling. That's hard to describe. Exactly. We knew that something wanted us out. Barbara felt the same thing. Shortly after this sighting, we had an accidental fire with paint on the porch. It had nothing to do with them, but on top of all this feeling, that was it. And Barbara says, I've often read about what they call fight or flight. And I've often wondered which one I am. Well, I've decided I'm definitely flight. The only reason I didn't leave right then was that the children were there. And and Jim was there. And how can you leave someone? But it took me an instant to make that decision. It wasn't a gut-level decision. I froze instantly, and then I very stupidly grabbed a candlestick and ran out on the porch. Naturally, what we needed was water, but I didn't know that. I really thought we were being attacked. And I just decided that I couldn't take that anymore because I had faced that fact that because I had faced the fact that if I ran out there I would probably die. And I figured that I was getting far off the end of the stick when going out there to die didn't seem that important. And I thought it's time to leave before you lose it all. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty intense. Yeah. But I feel like if he if he did get that acknowledgement as his he was on the pooper, um where they told him basically like we accept. Yeah. I feel like that was their way of saying, All right, let's live in harmony. 
Yeah, but then shit got crazy still. They were still feeling, like, watched and attacked, and, like, the kids had run-ins with the Bigfoots after that, and, like, it wasn't, still wasn't a good situation. So maybe the aliens were trying to get rid of all the Bigfoots. Right, to clear it out. For them. Yeah. Could have been. That's their box. Yeah, the, the Bigfoot traps. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't but I don't know either. That's her <laughs> words there though feel so poignant. Like Yeah. Oh for that sure. That feeling of like you realize like I I was just running out here. Like I could have died and I didn't care. Yeah. Like I, I mean, yeah, that's well that's what I was thinking about like uh Jim always being the one to like just go out and go like full force into things. Yeah. Just waiting for the time that like something doesn't quite go his way. Jim's a Gryffindor for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it just uh. he puts himself into these just stupid situations. He reminds me of Jack from Lost. <clears throat> Not to pack in the that's, two that's... two nerdy, you know examples right in a row but i mean no it's fine like just as soon as someone screams in the woods he's like doesn't need to ask any questions just fucking sprints right into <laughs> the jungle for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> right Ugh. i mean but sometimes you know given the heat of the moment like you know you're out there and your first priority is protecting sure your family the ones you love whatever else like so yeah. You're going to be first first on, you know, last off, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's important. It's an important ability to have, right, to go into that. But sometimes yeah, you course. need to chill the fuck out and be careful. Like, I, the, you yeah, got to be able to do obviously, that. Obviously, I mean, maybe, maybe take a split second to consider <laughs> the situation that you're yeah. in before, yeah. <laughs> before putting yourself in... A worse situation. Yeah, maybe when two randos that you barely even know bust in the house and say, hey, a fucking Bigfoot ripped through a barbed wire fence and chased us. Maybe your first reaction shouldn't be, let me go fight it. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? It's amazing that Jim survived. I... That that's that's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. Like I I am very impressed. Me too. And I think this is a situation like because some of these stories that we cover the whole time, I'm thinking like just fucking move, just get the fuck out of there. What are you doing? Why right. are you oh, staying? Yeah. Of course. And then some of them, I'm like, why wouldn't you stay and like check this out for longer? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like these people were like right in the sweet spot. They stayed, yeah. they had all these crazy experiences, and then when they felt like it was like really having an effect on their mental health, they were like, we're out of here. Which, that's, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, yeah that's definitely smart. I think they handled it perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, man, they didn't, I... Outside of his, like, stupidity and putting him, being so willing to put himself into really bad situations... Yeah. I feel I feel like it was handled overall Pretty well. quite yeah, well. I agree. I agree. I wonder if they still own it is the thing. Huh. Because I don't know. I mean, these are like wealthy guys. Right? Yeah. So it's not really a situation where they would like assuming they maintained their wealth, that they would need to sell it to move. Do you know what I mean? 
Like when you when you hear a story like this about a normal family, it's like, well, they're not just going to keep a house they don't live in, right? Normal people can't afford to do that. But like these people, I think, could. It could be like a, you know, a Bigelow type situation with Skinwalker Ranch where they just keep it and they could be out there like doing experiments or sending people out to have experiences or they still have workers that yeah that literally just take ranch. care of the area and have to be out there by a certain time or something yeah only daylight hours or you know what i mean right yeah, yeah. i don't know yeah that's that's possible i mean i like i wonder if we were to if we were to search like weird creepy lots of alien ufo whatever activity ranch colorado yeah <laughs> If we could pull up anything. Dude, people have... I just want to know where it's actually people at. People have like, tried what, really what hard this, to find this. I'm Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. There's, But at the same time, that also makes me wonder, like, of the authenticity to it, right? Yeah. It's... Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. It's... All we know is that it's in Elbert County in Colorado. It's somewhere in Elbert County. And I know there's a place in that county or in the next county over uh, what's it called it's another ranch it, it's another pseudonym that they've given another ranch that's a separate place that's that's also okay. had weird stuff but it was mostly poltergeist style stuff that happened uh. on that ranch but it, this is like this this whole area the whole American West is just littered with these. that's why it's so hard to find it because if you just search like American Ranch with aliens you get like 17 of them of course i mean yeah i wouldn't be surprised that's after you sift through the 200 links about skinwalker ranch which I mean, ever yeah, since they course. launched that tv show it's like every yeah. damn result is about skinwalker ranch but this also it's important to note that this story predates anything happening anything being reported at skinwalker ranch by like 10 years so like this APRO report came in ten years before anything happened at Skinwalker. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure if like the location and everything was was out there, I mean, yeah, there'd probably be people out there all the time, people trying yep. to you know, do studies and yeah. Yeah. So why not? Sure sure it makes sense, but yeah, why not? Yeah. Get out there and see what the hell's going on. Exactly. Also, if someone it's probably owned by like the military now or something, it could stupid. be because apparently it's also near a military base. They gave that up in the APRO report, so that would be another way okay. to narrow it down. I think. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of you country El- out there. Elbert County is big. Elbert, right? Okay, it's the counties in Colorado are enormous because there's so much like unincorporated area in that state. I mean, yeah, of course, yeah. So. Yeah. Who knows where it is? I've, I I want to find it. Like, we living in Indiana, it's easy to think, like, well, that's not that big of an area, a county. Because we have, like, right. what, 92 counties in Indiana? So, yeah, I think, I think that's about right. Yeah, and they're all tiny. I mean, yeah. They're pretty much all tiny. Um, we don't have a county, I think, in Indiana that you couldn't drive across in an hour. Yeah. Yeah, you're Other right. than maybe you're Marion right. County because you're driving through Indianapolis traffic. Right? Uh, that's that's true. Yeah. 
Shit, sometimes it'll take you four takes... hours to get through Indianapolis. Right, exactly. Yeah, and there's always, always construction on 465. Always. Ev- ev- like, yeah. <laughs> That's what Indiana That road will best. never be done. No. Ever. Never. It's like Indianapolis is weird because it has interstates that go in and then it has this one highway that is a circle. It's like a loop around the whole city. That's 465. And they're constantly working on it. Constantly. And it seems, it seems like always the, the, the exit to 70, I 70 is always either closed or there's some construction. It's fucked up somehow. That like keeps like one lane open and yeah. yeah. It takes you 45 minutes to get on 70. Yeah. Yeah. And they also took, they took out west. So you have to go, to the left now instead of yeah. going to the you have right to go around and the entire just, city to to come yeah, back around. It's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and that that but we're not going to talk about Indianapolis traffic forever. And that concludes the portion of our show that is specifically made for Hoosiers. <laughs> Thank you and good night. <laughs> but honestly, I think that just about wraps it up. Yeah. Yeah. Where, I mean, where you? No, you're a, all aliens. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, of course. Whatever the fucking alien know. is, you think it's aliens? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. I used to be so like hard pressed on this is exactly what yeah. that is. Visitors from another world, exactly. Yeah. But now, it, world could mean a lot of things. That's true. That's, <laughs> that's true, true, man. And it's really, it's really getting to me. Yeah. Good, let it get to you. Dive into it. I don't want to say it's my old age, but I, I feel like, you know, the older I get. You're, you know. Shit, when I was a kid. Aliens was aliens. Aliens were little green guys. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Well. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of where I, where I lie. If I this show has accomplished anything when we're done 20 years from now, it will have at least expanded your horizons a little bit. truth yeah i i honestly i don't really buy the the military psyop idea like i think too much random shit was going on to do unless they were literally just spiking them with lsd or something i mean that all the time the whole whole mk ultra thing yeah exactly it could have been something like that honestly because who the fuck knows what you're gonna see on lsd right it could be anything Especially like w- weird, small, and like mid-sized doses, where it's like your brain doesn't go like, "Oh, this is definitely a trip." You know what I mean? It's just enough to like right. make your brain invent to some feel shit. real, but at the same yeah. time, it's yeah. yeah, yep, yep, yeah. That's fair. That's fair for sure. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is I want to figure out where it's at, and. Um, and what go there go there (laughs) (laughs) i didn't quite know where i was going with it but uh you know go there i want to find out where it's at just so i can know yeah that's where i'm at yeah but also if you like web sleuths figure it out keep it to yourself because they honestly like this family one after you tell us you can tell us and we'll keep it to ourselves yeah, we will, for sure. Um, but this family, honestly, they like they came forward under the under the understanding that they would 
be kept anonymous, right? Oh, and yeah, because, I mean, you find out where this is at, then you can find out. I mean, you everything. can literally just look at, like, a Zilla report yep. and, you know. Yep. And, like, these are these were, like, big-time successful businessmen. They had, like, other ventures going on. They didn't want, like, their careers destroyed by this. This was in, 70, in the 70s. So, like, if you came out as, like, a UFO nut in the 70s, no one's going to invest with you. You know what I mean? But nowadays, they're going to be like, all right, bud. Yeah. I see you. It's true. I see it's you. It's true. But, um, I don't know. They they saw some insane shit. It's a crazy story. Man, it's just crazy. It is. It is. It's an awesome one. Yeah, agreed. And I think that concludes episode 83, Clearview Ranch. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at ReverbNation.com slash Reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown.